This is the Video Junkyard Podcast. A place that appeals to your deepest and darkest fantasies. The dead whose haunted souls hunt the living. I have come here to chew bubblegum and kick ass. And I'm all out of bubblegum. From this nightmare world emerges a fearsome half-man, half-ape with the strength of 20 demons. Hey everybody, and welcome back to the Video Junkyard Podcast. Uh, I am Eric Branson, and with me as always, my friends and co-hosts, Ryan Steiskel and Joe Peterson. How's it going, guys? Hello! I'm happy, I'm happy you called us friends. Oh, I thought oh, you were going to be like, I'm happy. How are you? I'm happy. <laughs> yeah, I was, I was just happy. Ever make I it thought that you were going to go with that. <laughs> I should. It should. It, wouldn't it be nice if things were just that simple? I'm like, how are you doing? I'm happy. Yeah. Okay, cool. Though do you cool. that's a very midwestern <laughs> thing though because you know how you you meet you see somebody you go hey how's it going and you ever get the person that, that actually like well they'll tell you yeah uh, it's a, it's a it's uh, a loaded question in the midwest like, yeah um, i am <laughs> to be fair i am that person who will tell you oh god uh, it's like well shit yeah, you asked right? every time uh, and I always see the look on their face, but I'm like, I'm already into this rant. I really wanted to talk to somebody. So <laughs> you should never ask me how I was doing today because I'm going to tell you. Um, I've had, I've had so. people like, once again, I'll say it again. Students, I'm glad that yeah. you called us friends. <laughs> so. Yeah. Oh, sorry, Joe. Well, I mean, no, I've had, I've had like coworkers and students that, you know, they come in like, Hey, how's it going? And they, they sigh. They're like, Oh, and I'm like, Oh shit. <laughs> they're going there. <laughs> They're going full for it. Damn it. Abort, yeah. abort. It's kind of like, you know, when people from the Midwest have to open up their podcast with griping about their health conditions or um, the weather, you know. Yeah. Oh, that yeah. reminds me. Seems we got the podcast <laughs> open. Or, you know, being quarantined. Being quarantined. Or whatever it may be. Still. Don't worry. Some are fighting for your rights to not be. That's right. Yeah. There are, yeah. There are people out there that are i don't know I mean, are, you guys both yes. had to see the, the photo from ohio with the people like pushing in on the capitol building and they look like zombies oh yeah that <laughs> was that's like it's weird when you see a photo you're like that's going to be in like a middle school history book someday like a textbook <laughs> wow uh, that's to be fair how many middle school uh or even high school history books ever really got to the vietnam war let alone past it true yeah i mean i That's don't even point. remember recall getting to it in, in in at least not at that point in my schooling so yeah well yeah. i had a teacher who did he's like hey i'm gonna do viet i'm gonna stop i'm gonna stop the first world war and just jump to vietnam real quick because we're never going to talk about vietnam and we need to talk about vietnam you guys need to know about vietnam and we're like holy shit <laughs> we're gonna it's not you mean nam we're gonna talk about nam <laughs> But I think that's a good point that, you know, we we put a lot of, of stress on, on history, you know, in education, which I think is important. But we, we never we, really get to it. We don't have a chance to get to it. He's like, well, we need to start with the Revolutionary Wars, make sure everybody knows the Constitution and all that stuff. I'm like, okay, yeah. And then, yeah, yeah. okay, we've got to talk about this. I, I get it, but it's like maybe we should be requiring more history classes then. I don't know something like that because maybe it won't be repeated as much yeah 
imagine how bad it is in a country you know that actually has you know a substantial amount of history versus yeah one that only has about 250 years of it so right or countries that have like had major regime changes every couple yeah. of years like those well, history I suppose you books just, just learned like, about the old stuff yeah. then right but well there's that and if they do it's like well our history book is more of a binder we're always like adding sheets to it and taking things out and, you know <laughs> yeah. it's like a big trapper keeper from the 80s yeah but, well hey i think ours is kind of that way sometimes too history goes in and out certain parts of history go in and out of style whether we're learning about it or what way we're learning about it but, and sometimes anyway. it's like perfectly captured in a b movie yeah, yeah like... with the end of the world, but in its very unique time. Say, do you guys remember learning about in junior high history class that time that a comet came too close to Earth and everybody turned into red dust or zombies? It was it was it after Vietnam? Wait, is it the zombies I... or was it when everybody got eaten by the plants? Uh it's the the well, I guess that depends on which history book you read. But tonight we're going to talk about the zombies, kind of. <laughs> Red dust oh, one. the plants were in England. The zombies were in the yes. States. Got it. Yeah, yeah. Um, I believe in there's certain so parts of the South that don't even teach the plant one. I think they just replace it with something else. They're there's some parts there. of the South where they just don't even teach. <laughs> or Man, we just lost Anyways. our Southern listeners. <laughs> so we have landed on uh, the episode number 95 of the Video Junkyard Podcast. Tonight we're going to look at the... Um... Night of the Comet kind of cult yeah i was coming up with a good uh, oh yeah. i'm sorry i thought 19- you completely forgot the name <laughs> of the movie yeah, <laughs> like no, it's I, pretty I, straightforward <laughs> 1984 tom Everhart film night of the comet did you ever wonder what it would be like to be one of the last people on earth we're talking ghost town who would you see there's nobody i mean there's nobody ah! what would you do Hey, I'm sorry if the end of the world makes me a little nervous. Where would you go? The stars are up ahead! Well, get ready to find out, because the comet is coming into your orbit. The legal drinking age is now 10, but... You will need ID. Let's be real. It's the night of the comet. What do you give me if I come back? Texas. Night of the Comet. I'll be taking requests from all you teenage comet zombies. The night the teenagers ruled the world. Yeah! Night of the Comet. The garden of civilization is on us. Fiction, isn't it? And get your short synopsis of this one. Uh, After a rare comet sighting, teen sisters Regina and Samantha find that they're among the only survivors of a zombie attack. The girls partner with another survivor, Hector, but as they try to avoid the zombies, they're sought by scientists who want to experiment in their bodies in the hope of finding an antidote. Dodging both the doctors and the undead, they keep moving in the hope that they can continue to stay alive. So, I have to say, I did not... Even like before, like this is a first viewing for me and everyone. Same here. Same yeah, here. Mm-hmm. I did not read any synopsis about this movie, so I kind of just went in not knowing what it was. Uh, and I have to say, it's great not knowing what it was when you go into it. Yeah. It's like, oh, there's some cool twists in here I was not seeing. Yeah. And now when you said the synopsis, I'm like, oh, it was in this fucking synopsis. Son of a bitch. Yeah, and I'm actually glad I didn't read. I knew a little bit about it, and I actually expected it to be a zombie movie because it always gets kind of listed um in, in yeah. lists of 
of zombie movies and we'll, we'll get to it a little later on you know how intense but not a whole lot of zombies in the zombie movies so no. um well yes and yeah, no you... it's a very interesting take on zombie yeah yeah true it's almost yeah because they're um, mostly like after blood right well they're 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 like slowly dying humans as a result of whatever wiped out majority of humans from the comet mm-hmm. like the dust that right. cor- like fucked with people certain people just die slower slow and that stage of death and slowly results yeah. it results it causes, in like it causes kind becoming... of the bizarre behavior and insanity and in cannibalism yeah right yeah but like. it's not overly gory. I'll give it that. No, it's PG thirteen. No. It's very easy to watch. No, this is actually yeah PG thirteen, and it keeps it, it keeps the subject matter fairly light in tone. Um, it's fun, which I think was a, the intention of the the filmmaker from the get go. So Joe, you said this was a first watch for you as well, right? Yeah, you know it's one that I I'd, I'd heard of, but honestly, scrolling through tubi or amazon prime and, and seeing the the poster art for this one it it didn't look familiar to me and i was like i know i've heard the name but that doesn't look familiar and then when if you go to the wikipedia page they have the original theatrical poster from 1984 and that mm. is the image i remember seeing but again i still never saw the movie um yeah so i again didn't know that it was even thrown in with the the zombie uh subgenre i didn't know it was a post-apocalyptic movie and I, I think maybe I should have. I think I'd heard it mentioned. That's why I made the, the joke about plants, right, with Day of the Triffids. Um, yep, yeah. You know, I think when... I, I have to admit, I did not catch the reference at all. I oh. did not know that movie. <laughs> no. I was just yeah, like, I, mean, I know Joe's reference on a movie. I don't know. I, I yeah, have there's faith a, that And there's good. been a couple of versions of... You, of, you ran with it well. You're... <laughs> yeah. I mean, there's... I, I try. And there's been a few different versions of Day of the Triffids and whenever i've read about those this is always kind of thrown in so i'm like oh well it's about a comet okay well that makes sense because that's part of day of the triffids um, right yeah but Similar i i didn't plot. know anything about like the zombie thing or anything like that i have to say um this movie is once again one of those like cult b movies that came from the 80s like fallen from last review which was uh killer clowns from outer space um mm-hmm. This is another fucking movie that just is like just 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 like that does a perfect drive in see it at your local theater on a Friday night yep. like yep. small town theater type movie that you can see with a group of people and drink a beer. It's fun and it's like holy shit why are the 80s so good at capturing this and all the 90s went to shit. All the no <laughs> all the 90s drive in ones became blockbusters like 98 Godzilla where it's like this is an awful movie yeah. and it has a huge ass budget. Well, I think that's yeah. part of it. People getting interested Independence in these Day. movies Independence ruined Day. it in a way, yeah. Yeah. You know, it's. I think sure. this owes a lot to the Romero zombie films. I mean, there's definitely some homage into to Dawn of the Dead in this. Yeah. Quite a yeah. Lot. Oh, I even wrote down in my note in my notes like plot wise, this is basically the teeny bopper version of Dawn of the Dead. So, um, yeah, it, it it very much borrows from, but but Ryan's right. It also like borrows from the 1950s kind of drive-in invasion flicks as well. So it yep. does. Um, it's another one very similar, like you said, to to Killer Clowns that owes um, all of its, or it, it kind of really heavily leans on that 50s kind of invasion drive-in style, so that it 
doesn't have what you might call, say, a lot of originality in the plot, but uh, it actually uses those familiarities to its advantage. Right. Uh, doesn't have to spend a lot of time, you know, explaining what's going on. We're all we're all on board by the time you you know you see the comet and you kind of just figure it out with that first zombie person and the, you know, the I, melted humans or raptured red dust humans or whatever. I'll, yeah. I'll try to I'll try to elevate this to to some form of like aesthetic. Uh, phrasing it, it it really much it's very much like old classical paintings that like you know reinterpretations of the same you know greek story myth or whatever but done in their own style these type movies the killer clowns and night of the comet do the same thing with the the fucking b drive-in films you know like mm-hmm. like it's like we're taking that like eric said that uh familiar those familiar elements, but we're doing our own little twist. And this one, it's like you get some valley girls who are badasses. Good segue to the first thing I wanted to talk about with this one. And that is that uh, writer-director Tom Eberhardt literally set out to... He had two ideas that formed the basis to, that became the script for Night of the Comet. That's what, that he wanted to do a post-apocalyptic movie that featured, you know, big empty city uh, street kind of shots. And he wanted it to feature uh, strong female lead characters as a heroes. Um he went as far in doing this um, as well. He was working on, um, he used to, I think, shoot and direct for PBS uh, doing docu, docudrama and news feature specials. Yeah. And while he was doing these things, uh, anytime he got a chance to um, interview um, young women, anyway, from teens to <laughs> young women, he, he would I can always see why that's like, a start asking like, them, sentence to say. Yeah, but yeah, he would always start like asking them questions about his script and, and maybe not giving them the hints that it was about his script, but like, hey, you know, if this if this kind of thing were to happen, like, how would you react? Like, what would you want to do? Like, you, you just have this whole city to yourself. What are the things you would do? And so a lot of the, the, the things that ended up in the script actually came from like real life responses he got from from young women that um, how they would react in this, this situation, uh, including the fact that he... Uh, the original draft of the script supposedly didn't have a whole lot about you know dating in it and them like you know crushing on uh <laughs> what's his name hector in the movie and um but that was actually something that girls brought up over and over that they were bummed about is that there wouldn't be any boys around to date so that's uh, like the he, one he thing that sure they were bummed like, about <laughs> yeah mm-hmm. no everything else was good they were talking about how you know they'd have you know access to all the stores and everything they wanted themselves and so that kind of that scene in the department store or shopping mall or whatever it was kind of came out of that and um super long uh, version of the question but like so he those are kind of his goals set out to make this this post-apocalyptic thriller uh with you know strong strong young women as its lead characters do you think he succeeded and do you find these characters to be authentic um ryan let's start with you oh okay um you know it's it's going back to kind of like what i said about this it's kind of like a cap time capsule in a way like this is like the 80s interpretation of a classic you know drive-in elements you know the plot elements you take the, the two out two or more things and you combine them you know uh, clowns and aliens invasion or this case uh apocalyptic uh zombies and valley girls um <laughs> with, with military experience of some type or or experience with firearms um it's uh it's great <laughs> it's it's i think yes i think it really worked out like you it's hard to it's weird to say that you take such such like um what would I call it? Um, 
just superficial crap, like from teenagers, wealthy teenagers, essentially, uh, in, in the fucking California area. Uh, and you didn't, I wouldn't expect it like, wow, this is actually pretty strong female character development for the time. Um, and, and it's entertaining. It's like, well, this, this fucking worked. So yes, you can make it work if you're good enough. Uh, I think so. What about you, Joe? Um, I, I think this was a really cool take on, on that. And I loved reading about like how he had essentially, uh, kind of sourced out the the ideas for what would you do and, and really kind of focusing this on on like a teenage girl perspective um i i keep in mind that it's still the 80s right yeah. so mm-hmm. you know it's kind of like when we the movie when does we, a good job when we talked about you know eric <laughs> when we reviewed uh chopping mall yeah you know it's like yeah there's this is very 80s including some really kind of silly stuff um and but i actress. think yeah, yeah but i Kelly i think Brown. That being said, yeah, I think it did a good job. And I think part of that testament of that is the fact um, <clears throat> that uh, the, the one of the male, or one of the, I'm sorry, one of the female leads, you know, Kelly Maroney's character ended up being the inspiration for Buffy Summers for Buffy the Vampire Slayer. Yeah. I think right there yeah. it says something about did he succeed? Apparently, yes. Because um, yeah. it's a memorable character that became probably a more memorable character in a, a generation later um it's like yeah, it's absolutely. like you're making an unlikely hero a hero like someone you do not expect to be like the first it's like what a valley valley girl in the in a slasher film is like what the one of the first people to die typically uh mm-hmm. and then like well what if, oh what yeah if it not? takes the whole subgenre and throws it on its head yeah um and, and I, I think it's it does it in a really and being able to do that as a pg-13 film yeah mm-hmm. Yeah, I think the girls in this movie kick ass. Actually, they're um, never are they like never are they taken advantage of in a way that that um, takes them out of um, being like the lead dominant characters in this narrative. Also, they are not. How, how do you say this in a way that doesn't sound offensive at all? But they're never defeminized. Like, they're still very much, like, girly characters, right? Um, they're very much, va- like, valley girls. They don't lose that, like, sense of femininity. They do when they find that city empty. They go to the department store. They try on all the fancy clothes, and they're having fun and, you know, talking about boys and this and... um, Yeah. Uh, but at the same time, they're they're not they're not damsels in distress they're not you know helpless waifs of um some sort that even even contemporary films would um at the time when this was made would have their characters even lead female characters um kind of falling into those traps so uh, i oh, think yeah. that i think that where, where you really become convinced of this at the first is the is that scene in the department store the way they deal with the um the stock the boys, boys that have become kind <laughs> of the yeah um is I don't know. It's great. I, I I don't think in um. Yeah, like like it's really refreshing to see a film in this era where they're not just kind of like, you know, there to to scream along and wait for somebody to come and rescue them. Like Hector, at, when he does show up, is very much not you know, Prince Charming dashing in on his horse. He's he's another interesting character that adds a a, a, a dynamic to their group, but um, never is he you know the the big male hero charging in to save the damsels in distress. I think they're very much, 
uh, especially Reggie, but uh, Samantha to a lesser extent as well, still very much in charge of their own fate and uh, the group <laughs> well, of people that they're. Yeah, I've got to say with. some of their some of their lines about the guns is what I uh, I think is one of the best ones from both Reggie and <laughs> Sam. Like Reggie right away, like telling uh, Hector, like, "Yeah, your gun won't do shit." To these guys and she'll she explains like yeah it, this is why it, it's weak or later on samantha like using a machine gun and goes like this this sucks this is why dad gave us uzis like that's yeah. a that's a legit <laughs> fucking line this is why dad gave us uzis and she's saying it in a fake cheerleader sweater and outfit <laughs> chewing gum and just like i'm just well, yeah and I, I love that about this is it not only like you know strong female characters but they're teenagers they're and they're and they're yeah. allowed to be teenagers as characters granted really odd teenagers and i think the lines about like this is why dad gave us uzis is kind of like okay so these aren't <laughs> run-of-the-mill got it um mm -hmm. but they're still teenagers they're still doing teenage things like even at the very beginning um when samantha is upset because her uh or no, I'm sorry, Reggie is upset because her high score on the video game has been beat. <laughs> yeah. And she's kind of pissed yeah. off about that. And she's they're 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 teenagers. They're kids. And then you, you see how they even how they handle when when Reggie's trying to explain to Samantha the severity of what's happened. And she's holding up like the clothes of these kids and they're like dust is pouring out. She's like, This is them, they're gone. <laughs> and her's just like ah oh, well that's fucked up and she goes inside and makes herself breakfast you know it's yeah it was that i i think some might view that as kind of sloppy writing but i don't know i think it could also and i think it is more a case of that's who these characters are they're yeah a little they're teenagers but they're a little jaded to some stuff like yeah absolutely uh, maybe a little bit of the, you know the video game generation the you know talking about the arcade game generation or whatever um yeah well they kind a of commentary they, on them they definitely established that their home life isn't the greatest they have an abusive stepmom and their dad is a no oh, yeah. military uh uh officer some what was it some kind of made it sound like he was part of some special ops group yeah and he's I never what they said but he's always away from home yeah it's like yeah. special ops or something which kind of leads me to like to the next point was um, Tom Everhart mentioned, you know, in writing the script that he wanted to keep kind of keep it light in tone. Um, and I think that's, you know, compared to things like Dawn of the Dead or, you know, other other zombie films that have this like really nihilistic end of the world type view. And this one is obviously light and a lot more fun. Um, do you guys think that ever hurts the movie in um, like, especially I think about scenes like in the lab uh, towards the end of the movie where there are these people being harvested and especially the young children who they tell, you know, as they're about to inject them and, you know, drain their blood for experimentation, tell them that they're, you know, they're going to go to sleep and wake up and go see Santa Claus and all this stuff. And uh, I think it uh, adds a bit of a deranged you, nature to it, to be honest with you, that particular yeah, part. Do you think it detracts at all from like, because... From the sense of like trauma that is being inflicted upon these teenagers and these children, um, or is it like almost the reverse where it's uh, it could be like seen as like refreshing or what's unique about this movie? Joe, you can go. Um, I honestly, I think when this movie is made, is a really important aspect to that question uh, mm -hmm. because yeah, if you look true. at kids' movies from the eighties, like live action, kids' movies from the eighties, it's I mean. 
if the, if any of those were made today, we'd be talking about trauma. Goonies would be like <laughs> impoverished youth yeah. whose you know housing yeah. development is being demolished, and they run across you know, uh, you know, bandits that are trying. These kids would be in therapy for years, and then you think about the character of Sloth and what would happen to him, and you know, it would be <laughs> very very realistic. So I think in the eighties they didn't talk about those issues as as much, but we had dark themes as kids. And I'm not saying, mm -hmm. and it should be that way today. I'm not getting on that soapbox necessarily. Um, well, to be fair, some of those movies, like Never Ending Story, they just have scenes that we have today as adults trauma that we right. carry yeah, from the movie itself. But, but right there, that's a great example of that. No censor looked at that and said, oof, that's going to fuck kids up. No, because well, they were like, yeah. yeah, well, that's when you teach them, right? I mean, it was we were exposed to some pretty dark stuff that was totally deemed appropriate at the time and today i don't know if people would deem similar types of things appropriate so i think this movie does keep it light for the 80s it keeps it incredibly light if you compare to what it's trying to distance itself from which is something like dawn of the dead um mm -hmm. which i've shown that to people in you know the last 10 years and the original romero film in the last 10 years that have never seen it before and they're like jesus christ <laughs> yeah. yeah you know yeah. It's, it's heavy it's it, it, god don't show them the uh Argento version, um, which yeah, is no even kidding. darker. Pulls all the humor out of it. <laughs> right, even, and even yeah, even Dawn of the Dead is considered to be somewhat light for a zombie mm -hmm. movie, especially compared to Romero's other things. But in, uh, in this one, I think that even... It pushes the envelope at the end there with the lab. It really pushes that boundary. Um, I think what happens to the lab personnel... Is it's kind of like the it felt like the filmmakers were saying to the audience, okay, I get this part's really dark, but wait for it. There's a payoff. You know, yeah, there's a payoff at the end. Just wait for it. Um, Brian, any thoughts on, well, on that? Well, to add with the yeah, I got a few things, uh, but I want to quickly add. Like Joe mentioned the rating thing, and I did notice that this movie was one of the first movies to actually get the PG thirteen. When it actually was right new, yeah. so it's interesting that you, you mentioned that, Joe, because yeah, this uh -huh. this this movie came out just at that time where where they're like, maybe Gremlins isn't PG, maybe right? it needs to be a thing. Yeah. That's, um, but you know, uh, but yeah, uh, wow, we really went all over the place. I gotta think about where I was at. Anyways, uh, yeah, I think that this this movie, like Joe said, I agree with what Joe says with a lot of this. It's it is a product of its particular time, and I think that's what makes it a strength. Um, I there is apparently a remake, like in the horizon for in this movie. So yeah. so I'm I'm interested to see how that works. But we've already seen so many approaches to like modern day kind of social media influences and in horror movies or other uh, other sci-fi movies and it's just like um i don't think if they remade this today it would work the same because i don't think that yeah. that's not what's fun about it what's fun about it is the the over the top 80s part it really kind of like it sets itself in a time but it it it's it's one of those few situations where doing so is actually what saves it in my in my experience with it but i will say uh -huh. i want to <laughs> This thing is so fucking 80s. <laughs> Case oh, yeah. in point, the fucking radio station. Mm -hmm. It looks like a Neon strip club. And like, <laughs> yeah. Oh, yeah. 
Like, that is not a radio station. That's not even a radio station back then. Like, that is a strip club. That is clearly a strip club that they shot in. <laughs> and that is just... It's the most 80s fucking thing. Um, and there's a lot of most 80s stuff going on in this movie, including the soundtrack yeah. and the... Yeah. The fashion, the hair, the... You know. Yeah, so... It does not everything. hurt it. <laughs> no, 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 no. It's, it's, it's actually, like... It, it actually the super saturated 80s-ness of this movie actually helps that um the lightening of kind of some serious elements of the movie it it, it helps me and maybe it just gets my mind back right back in that 80s mindset of you know not taking everything so seriously and just having fun with it so case in point uh what uh, right away I, I one of the funnest scenes is actually dj sammy <laughs> yeah which i feel like is kind of like an 80s kind of teen fantasy where like nowadays i don't think too many people think about like yeah i want to take over a radio station nowadays because everyone yeah, can just make their own none. podcast you can just yeah, have your own case in point case in point yes. but what'd you guys think about that scene because that was my fucking favorite then <laughs> no that was a good one and it's um I think Kelly Maroney in this, and it, I, I guess I'm kind of taking it away from that scene. I did really like that scene, and I like it how it's kind of a pivotal moment because it's what brings everybody together. Yeah, it's also. not a it's not a useless a scene, right? Um, Kelly Maroney, who I was only familiar with through like other B movies and especially Chopping Mall, and that's the one like I remember like I recognize her from right away. Um, not that she's not good in that in the other things i've seen her in but she surprised the hell out of me in this movie about how like how good she is in this um and how well she like just is this character is you know samantha or sam in this movie and um yeah having having seen her in stuff where there's probably not a whole lot of depth and then watching her do this is i I got a whole new respect for her as an actress i i was kind of you know happy to recognize her from other things in this but i came out of this movie with a whole new respect for her as an actress but she's good um, at delivering some comedic lines actually mm -hmm, her character mm -hmm, yeah even in that scene i think one of the best lines is where she uh she's pretending to be a dj and goes and i wrote it down uh the legal drinking age is now 10 but you still need an id (laughs) let's be real it's just like (laughs) Like that's one of the fam- my gr- it's like yeah we're gonna change the drinking age to ten but you still need your identification come on now guys let's not be crazy yeah. like that's, well, that's just a good beautiful that's mm-hmm. a good segue into uh, basically just wanting to talk about the cast and the characters like what what was it about um, like what stood out to you guys in in this like who were favorite characters um, favorite members of the cast or what what did you think in general um, of the main characters in this and Joe I guess we'll start with you this time um. I, honestly, I think it's it's very brief, but some of my favorite characters in this, or actually a group of characters, are the the stock boys in the mall. Oh, yeah. It's just so. I mean, with the with the, the sunglasses and the kind of Terminator like attitude, and it's the line where when he shoots one of his own guys, oh, yeah. and I love and that. and she says, "You're crazy." <laughs> he just lays like, "I'm not crazy. <laughs> I just don't fucking care. I lost yeah. it." That line is I, I so actually perfectly. wrote down the line. Same. And same yeah Yeah. i'm Um, not crazy i I just just don't don't give a fuck just don't give a fuck yeah um that one only that whole torture scene too with the yeah russian roulette yeah Yeah. i mean it's 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 an intense scene and i mean it kind of feels like it 
it makes sense. If you're going to do the whole Dawn of the Dead type thing, you have to have the bad guys in the mall if you're going to have fun mm-hmm. in the mall. That's what you would see. Um, but, yeah, I honestly, and then when, when they bring in the scientists, I liked them, but they're just so, they're so hammy. Intentionally hammy. Yeah. Um, but they're, but like I, like I was saying just a moment ago, how like that's like the really dark part of this movie that's really pushing the boundaries. So they're hamming it up. And they're really kind of brinking on the edge there of mm-hmm. where, where, geez, what are you going to show? Um, it was hard for me to like them as much as I wanted to as characters. Yeah. Not like them. Yeah, no, like, I would I say like they were generally hard to like. They, yeah. were, they were difficult for me to, to like, you know, there's villains that you love to hate. I had a hard time with, with them on this one. It was just like, okay, I, I'm not liking these characters on the screen. They're... yeah. I can't get a beat on it. I think that was that was one one thing I noticed about it. But there, it's a good cast, though. It's a great cast. Yeah, Ryan, you have any thoughts on the cast in, in general? I know you already talked yeah. about Sam a little bit, but well, well, that's the thing. Like, I think Hector, Reggie, and Sam are great. They're actually great leads. I think they're fun throughout the movie. You don't get a lot of uh, as much Hector, but when he's there, he's he's doing great. He dresses as Santa at one point. Uh, the whole co- <laughs> the whole like kind of like cowboy scene. I wanted where he... to talk about this 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 part of Hector as a character. The fact I even wrote down like Hector, the master of disguise, is how I was thinking of him. But like, <laughs> he does. He's he always got these costumes. And he like, like even when he co- shows up at the laboratory, like as a southerner or what, like like a cowboy type, like oh hey, uh-huh. is this where all the survivors? Like just everything. He's great. But I do. I actually want to talk about the scientists because Joe mentioned um, the stock boys. Like I want to talk about like because I think Joe Joe brings up something by mentioning like why they're so likable it, it's a world building experience with these groups of characters mm-hmm. yeah uh mm-hmm. and then so i think the stock boys are like this mid-ground because you have just it's not just you have zombies and the dead and the survivors there's an in-between for like a survivor becomes a zombie when exposed to this element for too long and that's what introduces this weird world with the stock boys and then the wor- like for me the most diabolical group the fucking scientists so i'm going to talk about the scientists yeah mm-hmm. because i have to say that first of all, the zombies are are they're not like normal zombies they actually are kind of cognitive they're cognitive entirely they're just kind of like driven mad um yeah. but the scientists is the ones that scare me the most because they still remain you know organized um uh and efficient as zombies uh their hunts are based on data like the whole you don't realize it throughout the film that they are infected until later on that's like the one of the twists yeah because you you have you think just one of them is fucking crazy like the what's her uh audrey white dr audrey white like you think that she's she's like against bringing survivors and you think that she's kind of going to be this antagonist and that twists it finds out that she tells them like no we were actually all exposed these guys are going fucking crazy i'm trying to save people so I'm telling you, because I'm infected too. I'm telling to, to, telling you, don't go there. You get mm-hmm. to save your friends, and you're like, holy fuck. So she's great. I love Audrey White. I actually thought she was really interesting because trying to figure out her motivations right. until like until it all like plays out. You're, um, I actually wasn't sure what exactly she had done to Sam at that point, and um, it all made sense once you kind of figured out what was going on with the other doctors and. Um, and so, so I think I figured it out prior to you know the big reveal, like, hey, Sam's not dead. 
but yeah, there was a moment there where I was like, oh, wait a second. Did she really just, you know, off well, one of our main characters? Like, And they do such like, a great job with that. But but I was going to say with what the scientists are so scary because you hear them throughout Hunt. When you realize what they're doing, you th- I was thinking about all the things they were saying. They're like, well, they're most likely to conjugate around the radio tower. They're probably not going to go far from a familiar area. Or the mall seems to be like this temple. Or They're comparing things to like these statistics and like kind of like they're talking like archaeologists almost in a way mm-hmm. uh, and then you realize like oh my god they're hunting people like this is how they hunt like they're doing they're using data to hunt people and not only that uh, to satisfy their cannibalistic urges they have a human blood bank a human blood farm excuse me a human blood farm where they fucking just take the survivors and they fucking uh, make them brain dead and then harvest their blood and like holy fuck like when you start to realize that oh these guys are infected oh these guys are infected and they have resources it it, when you break it down it's like these are these are kind of this is an interesting concept this is an intelligent zombie it's like having a group of fucking zombies with phds and this is like holy fuck so for me i actually like that are all actively trying to cure themselves but all kind of going insane at the same time i think they're trying to justify their bloodlust that's how i saw it they're like, yeah, because they need to right. the reason yeah. everything. And they're like, no, no, uh, we, we need to harvest their blood to cure to cure ourselves, you know, quicker than ever. And I'm like, what if that's just part of, like, the cognitive, like, well, zombie I, disease? I think, doesn't it break down to a point where, like, it, it they finally start admitting that it's not really to cure themselves, but it's to keep themselves sane enough to cure themselves. So they're just ingesting right. the blood so that, yeah. To <laughs> justify the bloodlust. And that's what's yeah. like, holy fuck. Like, did this movie... Because Joe's not wrong. Like, they're not as, like, kind of over-the-top and entertaining as the Stock Boys. The Stock Boys still win that. So it kind of mm-hmm. sucks that the scientists don't have that. Because they have, like, even, like, holy shit, the Stock Boys make sense. Like, you expect a group like that in a, in a post-apocalyptic world. But the, this kind of, for me anyways, this kind of these type of, like, scientific characters revealed in his twist to kind of be the ultimate kind of baddies and it's just like oh man i wish they had more memorable fucking characters uh besides the the, one that saved them the scientists were interesting in a way because they were all like different crazy yeah like everybody had their own kind of unique like there were the two female scientists that were just kind of like loopy crazy like they were just giggling and you know um the two that were (laughs) yeah the the children yeah um and yeah, and then there's like the lead, the lead male doctor, uh, who Jeffrey was Lewis. By rec- yeah, yeah, yeah Jeffrey I was Lewis. Say, played by a recognizable actor that I know from other things. Um, yeah, uh, Doctor Carter was his name. Yep, he he was he was kind of the stereotypical. Uh, I'm turning into a zombie, kind of crazy. But anyway, I I thought they did a good job with it. I think the stock boys worked better as villains because it made Sam and Reggie shine a little bit more as badasses themselves. Like they, yeah. they were just better, better foils. But, um, but I love the way they played it, played the stuff out against the docs, especially the, again, Hector, Hector in the cowboy disguise and the way they did the whole, I don't know, just, uh, highly unique turn of events, especially with the, um, dressing up as, in, as different characters and, I don't know. The movie's got a lot of like really lovable quirks like that. So, um, speaking of zombies, though, uh, this one gets listed. Like I said at the top of the show, that in a lot of lists of of zombie movies, and especially if you start to look into like zombie movies of the '80s, this one always shows up. Um, but is it really a zombie movie? 
it doesn't have a whole lot of quote-unquote zombies in it. There's maybe one or two of these, you know, people that are dying of the comet <laughs> sickness, whatever it is, uh, that are kind of like zombies. Um, or is it just kind of that in the post-apocalyptic tropes of the movie that it gets that comparison? Well, the, let, the mutants. I, I think zombies and, uh, should be replaced with, like, mutants, essentially, I guess. Yeah. But yeah, I, they're, they're still dying. I don't know. It's weird. That's my... I don't know. What do you think, Joe? I, I, I think uh, it does. I think it does. Uh, in the same way that more recently um, you've had zombie movies, and, and I think back... I. Like we we brought up this is the second week in a row we brought up our conversation with John Pata, um, yeah. But you know John did his movie Dead Weight, which is a zombie movie mm-hmm. that doesn't have any zombies in it, because that's not the focus, but that is the the main um, you know antagonist kind of surrounding right. It it is a thing you have to worry about. We just don't have to show it all the time, and I think that is because again it's the motivation behind the scientists really is that they're they're transforming into these undead things until they're dead <laughs> right and i agree right. ryan maybe mutants would be a better word but if we're going to use like, no what the trope it'd be ghoul. like a zombie trope i think ghouls ghoul. or something ghoul right probably the best thing well and technically that's what ghouls. that's what romero thought of his zombies in night of the living dead were ghouls yeah night, yeah. night of the ghouls i think was originally the title of the film but, right so yeah. either way it's it's this post-apocalyptic and you've been transformed into this bloodthirsty brainless monster type thing uh shambling after the survivors um yeah i think it is one but it just doesn't focus on them right Uh, but i think i think it has everything else pretty much this has all of the stuff that we probably wanted to see more of and i like how you worded that ryan the universe building in other zombie movies yeah you know i want to say like even their um their disease they the scientists talk about what's happening to people they're not infected with like a with a virus what it is is like, well, it might be, but it's not like a traditional virus. And what's happening to the bodies are they're slowly being dehydrated. Mm-hmm. Um, and so they're going through like elements of dehydration where their skin is breaking because their skin's getting dry, their rashes, and then of course it breaks. Their eyes are becoming glossy and shit. But that explains why they have a bloodlust. They're trying to like rehydrate themselves and then with the scientists it's a step further with like trying to find justifications um i don't that just just an element of world building i was thinking about like even how they explore like why these zombies are turning they like this throw this like well it's a result of the disease like people are getting driven mad because they're fucking turning to dust slowly Mm -hmm. i don't know well their brains are getting their brains are getting all fried yeah they're getting fucked up but yeah, I think it. Um, I think it matches as a zombie movie. You know, I don't think you have to have Tom Savini on set, you know, for every <laughs> shot for it to be a. It'd be cool, but you don't need yeah. that for it to be a zombie movie. Well, and it certainly has a lot of similarities to Dawn of the Dead, as we mentioned before, plot-wise. The the use of the shopping, whether it's department store, mall, whatever it is. But uh, and also like Ryan even mentioned that line that the scientists say that thing about oh they go to the shopping mall which like is straight up quote almost from Dawn of the Dead. Um, also, there is a couple of I guess it's one dream sequence, but a dream within a dream sequence oh, that I wanted. Yeah, uh, the double nightmare. In, yeah, in the movie, and, and two of our most zombie esque makeups are in that portion of the film, and. 
I wondered if that kind of that interpretation kind of fed on the character's awareness of what zombies and zombie movies were. Um, but yeah, those those scenes, although kind of reeking of padding the script a little bit, uh, still were, were yeah, I thought decent, especially what from a makeup effects standpoint were were good, mm-hmm. and probably the most standard horror moments of the film as well but um any thoughts on uh, the dream sequences from when from the radio station yeah Um, i think i think it did the same kind of thing like you like you just mentioned i think that's a really good way of summing it up personally is that it's obviously a bit of script padding but it it works i mean ultimately remember that they're making a movie here to 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 entertain teens and young teens especially in a, a way that's you know got horror elements but you can't make it too bad so you know they throw in throw in some scenes like that partial nudity of a teenage girl right yeah or attempted right. yeah. rape from a monster which is always always fucking uncomfortable um <laughs> i hate it i fucking hate it <laughs> um I'd say it's it's very much an 80s thing 80 slashers i feel like that's that's one of those elements like the dream sequence, I, okay. I'll, later on, I can describe maybe a theory on why it's relevant. But for the most part, it kind of felt like this feels like fan service, like the type of horror movie fan service that you get, where you're like, I said, yeah, partially nude teenage girl, yeah, gets attacked. But we can't kill that character. But they do it twice in a row, and you're like, come yeah. on, what the fuck? This is this feels <laughs> like padding, like Joe said. But the only yeah. way I can see it kind of maybe someone trying to justify it um is like well this might be one of the the warning signs that sammy might be potentially infected which is followed by her having a rash um then because mm-hmm. they introduce that kind of red heron is like oh and you know the justify that one quote-unquote killing scene the euthanasia scene um mm-hmm. euthanizing yeah. sammy but you know that's the only way i can see that is maybe that's a symptom but another way is to explore it's like oh this is just the psychological trauma and stress of this situation and she's just kind of <laughs> having a nightmare um yeah. so it, it it seemed to me to be exactly what i think it was and that's just some padding to get some length to it oh yeah it almost seemed to me like a cut of this movie got turned in at one point and they said well we like the energy of the film. We like the humor of the film, but it just doesn't have enough horror. Um, they talk about what sex, can you but do we need about some more that? sex. Yeah, or that that as well. Yeah, um, you have these two attractive female leads, but we 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 never see them. You know, sans clothing, uh, which totally sounds like what you know an executive in the '80s might be concerned about. So, um, I almost wonder if these things were if those dream sequences were were kind of pigeonholed in later in the in the process so either after a cut had been assembled or late in the production process um to add not only runtime but also some more quote-unquote horrific moments or you know some some sexuality to the film which pretty much doesn't exist otherwise um oh to so to build off of that eric i actually kind of thought to i thought the same thing that you thought is like i this feels like they just probably added it last minute not only that i kind of thought like i think they filmed two different scenes and they didn't know what to go with so they just threw both in there (laughs) yeah yeah i think that there's some truth there's potentially some truth to those whether you know we may never know what the actual truth is but um the the positive of that is it does give us like some of the better zombie makeup in the movie 
I think know, heaven. At least, the, at least the cop zombies are mm-hmm. are pretty good. Well, that's the thing, yeah. like, because yeah. it kind of introduces this idea of having. Um, before you see the stock boys and the scientists, her dream sequence. Now that I think about it, uh, introduces like the idea that these zombies are cognitive, like and organized. So you have two zombie cops. Which in itself sounds like a, a very interesting scene and premise that maybe they just like, well, we can't explore it. We already have the stock boys and followed by the scientists. So we'll just make this a dream. Mm-hmm. Maybe that's it. I don't know. But uh, imagine having those. Like, imagine if the scientists yeah, got know. swapped out with, with military or police personnel. You think you're safe with these guys and you realize that they're fucked up. But I argue the scientist one for me is just the most disturbing. Yeah. Yeah. So, uh, Night of the Comet was a generally, like, well-loved movie when it came out, or well-liked movie. It, uh, I think they, I think I read that its budget was just under a million. Was it? Yeah. Now I'm second-guessing myself on that. But anyway, it raked in, like, 15 million, um, at box office total. Um, still holds a 77% on, uh, Rotten Tomatoes, so definitely something um that people are general generally enjoyed uh, my favorite review that i came across of this thing and and i think this just kind of hits the nail on the head is uh was from variety at the time and it says a successful um pastiche of numerous science fiction films executed with an entertaining tongue-in-cheek flair that compensates for its absence and originality which is almost exactly what i thought of this movie like everything about it was entertaining and humorous and but but it does it, it pretty much has almost no originality it's just things borrowed from um other you know older 50s films so uh or, or zombie movies in general post-apocalyptic thrillers and um anyway not really a question there just um, <laughs> sharing that that i found on wikipedia so uh one very important question that i think we need to cover before we wrap this thing up is so is this a Christmas movie? Does this count as a Christmas movie? And is it going to go on your Christmas um, yes. watch list for next year? So. There was a Christmas song so. in it, so yeah. <laughs> yeah, I mean, it takes place around Christmas time, but there's almost no like direct mention of it. It's just kind of like in the you know, in in the like atmosphere of the film. There's some Christmas stuff in the background. There's some music. There's the you know the scientists telling the kids they're going to go visit Santa when they're about to kill him, and uh, Hector Claus. But, yeah, and Hector Claus, that's right. Yeah, it's supposed to take place, like, over Christmas. Mm-hmm. So, mm-hmm. yeah, I don't see why not. I mean, it. Yeah, if we're going to... If one would make the argument that Die Hard is a Christmas movie, then, yeah, this might be, too. Yeah. Yeah. It, yeah. I agree. You could do... You could certainly do worse on, you know, putting together your Christmas watch list for this year, and hopefully we'll <laughs> all, you know, not be quarantined by that point, but you still... You yeah, know, wait, wait. We'll still be Post- inside watching Christmas movies, so post-apocalyptic movie during this time interesting interesting choice <laughs> yeah um yeah I, there, I kind of knew what it was about so we were recording that one but anyway there is so. two scenes i do want to ask you guys your guys's opinion of um scene oh, absolutely scene one uh that i have to just uh, ask um hector versus the zombie kid <laughs> um and then two <laughs> there goes the neighborhood two uh dolores their stepmom dolores and sammy getting into a fist fight um which i will say was triggered by one of the greatest one of the greatest lines from sammy in this movie uh which uh set up the scene for you 
uh, Dolores is definitely cheating on their dad, and Sammy <laughs> knows, and she calls out, calls her out by saying, "You were born with an asshole, Dolores. You don't need Chuck." <laughs> um, that was like that's like within the first five minutes of the movie, which results in two slap, like one slap, one slap returns, and then a punch to the face from the mom yeah, to I was the daughter. Say, she decks her in the face and knocks her to the ground. Yeah, like. so it gets dark quick in that moment. But I have to say, like, fuck, Sammy's got the best lines. Um, mm-hmm. But what do you guys think yeah. about those uh, zombie Hector kid and then uh, the Hector versus zombie kid, uh, Sammy versus Dolores. I think, I think versus zombie kid cracked me up just because of his um just kind of like oh i don't know it was a typical kind of zombie movie scene you know um i think it's they always have to do the obvious like little kid zombie chasing him through the house or whatever but his his dive out of the window when he finally like dives out of his mother's home and the line that he gives with as the scene closes is just he uh as he's diving out the window goes, well, there goes the neighborhood. Well, he had like tons like, of fucking like whips, the whole like, quips <laughs> the whole time. And it's just like, okay, yeah, yeah cool. <laughs> um, uh, yeah. And Doris, Doris is a hell of a character in this movie. Her, the, the stepmom, she is, uh, yeah, she full on punches her daughter in the face in front of a bunch of people. And like, nobody bats an eye at it. And it got me thinking about like eighties movies and especially eighties horror movies about like kind of the string and i'm thinking of the elm street movies because that's just a constant trend in those but um the kind of constant string of like really terrible mothers that are in (laughs) 80s horror films yeah and doris definitely sits up right right up there at the top with like you know um nancy's mom in uh nightmare on elm street or um what's the, the the joe you'll probably remember better than me but um Later in the sequels, is that Kristen has a mother that's like an alcoholic bitch as well, kind of like that. Uh, I'm um, talking Elm Street um, movies as well. It's uh, um, Arquette. It's it's Patricia mm-hmm. Arquette. So that's not. Yeah, what's yeah. her name? Kristen. Is it Kristen? Or yeah. Kristen? Okay. Yeah. Good. I I actually remembered. Yeah. I'm impressed. Anyway. Yeah. yeah from just, part three. Just, from part three. Yeah. Yeah. Yep. She just got me thinking. Like, uh, what was the the string of really like awful mothers and um and it seems like you know cinema's obviously gone through its time of like daddy issues as well it seems like the 80s we had a headed out for our um stubborn alcoholic mothers or cheating alcoholic mothers maybe well you know i think that's a a a thing you have to have or was believed have had to have in in this genre during this time these movies are being made because you need some kind of rationale for why the parents aren't stepping and going what the hell so yeah you've got a bunch of latchkey kids it's just you know. like a bunch of dis- disillusioned middle class parents. Yes, mm-hmm. yes, like, you kind well, of need that if, if yeah. in order to you know suspend disbelief. Like, oh well, why, why aren't the parents taking this seriously? Why aren't the parents, you know, why is there no adults that are stepping up here? Oh, well, because they're all, they were all fucked up anyway. Yeah, you know, yeah. <laughs> or Nightmare on Elm Street. It's like you know, her dad is around in the first movie, but he's a cop and he refuses to believe the nonsense you know that she's talking about. And, so, yeah. Also separated from her mother, I believe. Yes. Yeah. Yep. Yeah. But, but what, they br- bring him back later. Anyway. In anyway. But, separate series. But yeah. Sure. <laughs> but Joe, what did you yeah. think about those scenes? Oh, they were good. I mean, the. Uh, the or do you have any more to add? Like any oh, other the, scenes? That's the, it. <laughs> that's it. They were good. Moving on. No. Um, no. Actually, I like that. I thought it. it 
the zombie kid scene was was fun because you know again it was it was pretty playful but i thought that that first one really kind of was a um uncomfortably humorous intentionally way of, of establishing just what we were just talking about which is that kind of okay well we have to get rid of the parents somehow so and not miss them and not miss mm-hmm. them yeah so we need to paint them in a very negative light right away yeah so i, I it kind of explains sam's reaction to everything right off the bat so well like, yeah again like i said these are teenagers but they're not normal teenagers <laughs> yeah they you know they there are some they, they've had some experiences um oh they ate a lot of I, shit as far in as life. as far as like other other moments that i liked honestly the ending the ending was just oh yeah pretty charming yeah. it was like it was a charming yeah. ending for this movie where they're like <laughs> gonna pretend to be this the parents of these kids and then you know <laughs> she goes running off with the guy who's got the same initials and yeah you know, just it was yeah. it was very cute um dumb but cute <laughs> you know it, it, yeah. it didn't put a lot of thought kind into of a it. funny like happy ending to this kind of a movie like, yeah yeah because it resolves absolutely you, you nothing <laughs> you know what it does it kind of it because it's a blend of you know that valley girl i, I i'm actually saying valley girl re- referencing the movie valley girl like those types of movies that were going on during that time mm-hmm. um and combining it with the post-apocalyptic horror so you're like well most of this was the horror let's end it like you would a teen 80s high school movie with well who am i going to date and then a guy in a corvette shows up and it's like that kind of adds to like is this stupid yes but in such a wonderful way yeah you can go dark with it i was watching it thinking okay it's a funny happy minute and then my brain immediately went oh well maybe they all just got the the comet virus and they're all just starting to go mad Oh, I thought she was and actually going to get hit their, by a car. I was this waiting is their for their fantasy world, like uh, you know, they're yeah. they've made their little family unit and they have their kids, and then you know, Sam's dude in a Corvette shows up. Um, well, this is why we're glad that you did not fucking direct it, Eric. Well, no, I, I know what you mean because we were conditioned, like because of Nightmare on Elm Street and all these other movies, like don't trust the happy yeah. ending, right? Well, I was waiting for it, yeah, yeah. and it, it didn't, and so that, I guess that's kind of different, but, right? You know, so, I think I I. Th- I think it's cool that other zombie movies have kind of adopted that kind of cheesy happy ending. Make the um, best out of it. Yeah, or like this is the family you have now. Yeah. Kind of a thing because um Zombieland. Yeah, Zombieland. I thought about Zombieland with this. Zombieland did the same thing and I don't know if that was intentional or if it's just a coincidence, but it has a very similar ending. Both of them do. Both Zombieland movies were were quite good. Uh, and even though I don't know if they'll ever do this in the the show, but because I quit watching it for a number of reasons, but the uh, comic book of Walking Dead introduces a character called Princess, who is essentially like a kind of uh, aloof valley girl type character, but she's a, like a badass with a cup. She's got like a big pink puffy jacket and fur jacket and stuff <laughs> like that and crazy hair. And uh, she's kind of annoying, but she can handle herself kind of a thing um so i i've always i wondered now had i having seen this movie i wondered if they got some inspiration from that character yeah possibly you, you know, know what but... joe you mentioned zombie land and i mentioned earlier like i don't know if this movie could ever be remade in a modern day zombie land did it zombie land pretty much did it yeah it yeah did i was it. gonna say that that does it fits it nailed it almost perfectly yeah, yeah so 
you know. So well, and I, I think well, it's a breath yeah. of fresh air, especially for a movie this old to go back and see. Like, see, even when zombie movies were popular, we didn't take them so goddamn seriously, you know. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Um, and there's a number that don't. I mean, Return of the Living Dead, for example, oh, yeah. does not take this concept seriously. I I think Romero did a great job with what he did. And so did, you know, Kirkman with The Walking Dead. But there's mm-hmm. room to play with zombies, and this is another example of it. Yeah. Yeah, no, agreed. And uh, I think the zombie land comparison is great. Um, I, I have trouble thinking of something else that's quite this lighthearted, but, um, well, Return of the Living Dead is even more so. But mm-hmm. straight up, like, slapstick comedy, essentially. But, um, yeah. It's, uh, or dead evil alive. Dead. It was fun. Evil it was dead fun alive. So, uh, dead alive, but yeah. that does not have a happy ending. No, <laughs> no. But Evil Dead uh, Two, I think. No, because not Evil Dead One is trying to be serious, but Evil Dead Two and the rest of the Evil Dead franchise is something that mixes that yeah. literal, literal slapstick humor with horror. Yeah, <laughs> gory yeah. horror. Yes. Yeah, absolutely. Um, yeah. But what? So it. Uh, let's end this. Yeah, I was gonna say without <laughs> any further ado, let's. Um, well, if you guys had to give this a grade, which obviously you do, because that's what we do here, um, what would you guys say this one is? Let's start with, uh, I guess I'll start with you, Joe. Um, I'm going to go, I think for this one, um, I, I'd give it a solid B to maybe a B plus, kind of somewhere like that. Um, it, it It's a really fun movie. It takes a genre that, like I said, at the time that this movie was being made, there were a ton of really serious um, you know, really serious zombie movies coming out that were actually kind of showing like how, uh, I guess, a lot of reflection about the human condition. Like you know, Dawn of the Dead really, and Night of the Living Dead really did that quite a lot, um, and even Day of the Dead to that for that matter. And then you get yeah. something like this that's just a little bit more playful, a little bit more fun, yet also has some really intelligently written characters that have uh, backstories that make sense, that you know, explain their motives. But you also have some some fun with some of the villains along the way, too. And the movie never takes itself too seriously. And that's a cool balance when you can have very well-written characters, but you're not taking yourself that seriously in a, a genre that normally can take itself very seriously or just be stupid. Um, the only thing that I feel like this movie kind of couldn't get a good handle on, again, was the, the main villains being the, the scientists. Um, it, it, I, Ryan, I, I love your interpretation that all of their weird behavior is the slow oncoming of uh, the, the transformation in their bodies that they're all turning into these creatures. That explains a lot. And maybe I can go back and give this one another viewing and I might up that score a little bit because uh, I want to look for that a little bit more. Because mm-hmm. otherwise, the way it appears on face value is just that they couldn't really get a handle on what kind of characters they wanted these scientists to be. Do they want them to be serious or not? Because it's really, like I said before, teetering on the edge of, of being a pretty dark concept uh, with the, the kids and the, the blood and everything. But overall, I'm really glad I got to see it, and uh, I feel bad that I didn't see it earlier because I can see why this is a classic. So yeah, I'm going to go with, with like a B or a B plus somewhere along those, somewhere teetering in between there. Okay, Ryan, what do you think? Um, no, Joe, 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 and I are very similar on this one. Uh, he he knocked a lot of the same things. I I to add to that, I guess I would wrote uh, I wrote down 
that this movie does a surprisingly good job of holding my interest uh it has a lot of like some it has a lot of uh fun scenes uh and some funny scenes and then the twist um i thought was pretty cool uh it, it it like i said it holds my attention it does a good job of keeping you in those moments i think the weakest thing honestly turned out for me was the nightmare scene uh the double nightmare <laughs> yeah. scene because it's one redundant um two it's kind of you know nightmare scenes are kind of a gimmick anyways uh and three it does the thing that i hate you know the exploitation of um people's bodies in a sexual way for for you know it's it's uncomfortable i don't like monster rape scenes um <laughs> i'll just say it. i don't like it. it it just unnerves me but i mean that's how people some people see horror and i'm like okay but um but this movie it's it's either a b plus or an a minus for me it's kind of tough because i'm thinking to our last movie with clowns uh clowns had a lot more fun gimmicks in it but this movie is is has a better story. There's more of a story that kind of goes. There's more like you know the characters. Their characters are characters that are kind of mm -hmm. fun and interesting and inspires characters like Buffy. And now that I know that this movie inspired that, I fucking see it. And I'm like that makes so much sense. Um so for me it's I want to give it an A minus, but it's tough too because it's. I think B plus makes sense. If I was to watch this more, same with Killer Clowns. Um, I don't know. So far, it's been it's been fucking great. Uh, I'm finding eight like this has been great so far. Finding these eighty movies, eighties movies on Tubi, uh, and they're like, oh wow, there there's some good Absolutely. stuff out here. So it's a good movie. I would, I fucking definitely suggest it to people. Um, yeah. Well, I wish I could, you know offer some variety but uh honestly i can i really liked it as well um I, I i think the strength of this thing is ensemble cast really great characters clever writing um it, as ryan mentioned the pacing of the movie is good i don't think it's ever boring um and yeah just that it's 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 i don't know it's got some really great kick-ass lead female characters in an era that is definitely not known for that I mean, yeah, it, horror, I know we're slapdash in the middle of the slasher final girl type era, but I really think these are different even than that kind of a character. Uh, just really well, well written, well realized characters. And I could see how it goes on to, you know, inspire people like Joss Whedon when he's developing Buffy into a television series. Um, anyway, going on too long for a grade, but yeah, I'm going to, I'm going to land right at the B plus too. So <laughs> I, I think, uh. Um, I was really pleasantly surprised by this one. Um, it's one that I always kind of had on the, well, not always, but for the past, you know, maybe decade had on the back burner of like, oh yeah, that's something I should see. You know, I keep coming across the name, um, and people talking about it being a great movie. Um, but yeah, it, it really, truly is. And I, like Ryan said, I think I'd recommend this one to just about anyone looking for something to watch, especially for free on Tubi. It's, you could, you could certainly do a lot worse. It's, uh, so yeah. It's and it watch it please watch it and leave us your thoughts you can do so by emailing us at the video junkyard podcast at gmail.com you can send us a tweet at video junk pod or find us on facebook at the video junkyard podcast page or the video junkyard podcast group we'd love to hear any of your questions comments criticisms or witticisms and coming up on the podcast is uh well, I'm not actually sure what's coming up on the podcast. <laughs> so if you guys have anything, um, listeners being, if you guys have anything you want to recommend, um, 
at, during quarantine time, I guess we've kind of limited things to we are using uh, a couple of free services. Uh, basically, Tubi TV is what we're kind of selecting our um, movies from. So if you have anything that you've noticed, if you're using that service as well and you'd like us to check out the Video Junkyard Podcast, let us know. I know in the future we uh, are going to go back to our regular scheduled programming. Um but until the point where I can tell you that, you know, we're actually back on schedule, not gonna go, not gonna tease any of those yet because it could unfortunately be a ways off. So we'll uh, pick out something and we will let you know via the Facebook group or, or um, just following the Video Junkyard Podcast on Facebook. Um, let you know what's coming up next week as soon as we ourselves know. <laughs> so. But we want to thank you all for uh, tuning in to Video Junkyard Podcast. We hope you've enjoyed the discussion. Uh, we hope that you tune in next week. We'll be putting some stuff out on social media once we decide what we're going to be watching for next week. Feel free to watch along and uh, then join us for the review and uh, leave us a comment. So thanks again for listening. And until then, this is Joe Peterson. I'm Eric Branson. I'm Ryan Seiskel saying... I'm not crazy. I just don't give a fuck. You have been listening to the Video Junkyard Podcast. I do wish we could chat longer, but I'm having an old friend for dinner. You just can't let them go? Go! Stay on the road. Keep clear to the moors. We want to take this opportunity to thank you for listening to the Video Junkyard Podcast and remind you to find us on social media on Facebook at facebook.com slash videojunkyardpodcast, on Twitter at videojunkpod, and on Instagram as videojunkyardpodcast, all one word. want to thank you again for listening, and keep digging. Who knows what treasures you'll find in the Video Junkyard. Hello fellow time travelers, I'm Tony Witt with the Doctor Who Target Book Club podcast, the podcast in which we undertake the insert adjective here task of discussing in story order all of the Doctor Who novelizations. I'm joined by... Dalton Hughes. And by... Alison Fitzsafried. And we record our episodes twice a month. You're listening to the Video Junkyard Podcast. Enjoy your travels. <laughs>